everybody. Welcome back to Almost There Lazy, a 90-day fiancé podcast. I am your host, Allison. So this is a special episode. I thought I would take some time just talking about the visa process, particularly the K-1 visa process, to help you understand this show. So I got my mom to listen to my podcast. I explained to her what a podcast is, how to download one, all of that. And she enjoyed it. But as someone who never watches 90 Day Fiance, I found that she had a lot of questions to me about the entire process. And I'm sure people who have watched as much of this series as me can relate to this. I realized that for someone who has never had a K-1 visa, who is a U.S. citizen, I know quite a lot about the K-1 process just from watching TLC. And so I thought it might be helpful just to like go over the broad strokes of everything for people who might know less, who might have more of a life than me. As a disclaimer, I am not a lawyer. Most of this information I got comes from Wikipedia. So that means my education comes from Wikipedia University, which I'm pretty sure is the same place where most of the legal professionals that we see on the show have gone as well. As another note, I am a pro-immigration person. Um, If you agree with Donald Trump's policies, particularly his immigration policies, then I'm sorry to hear that. I'm of the opinion that no human is illegal and children don't belong in cages. If those are controversial statements to you, then I am sure that Rush Limbaugh is still plugging away and issuing a podcast with whatever little time he has left on this earth. All right, so let's get started with just talking about what a visa is in general. So a visa, I would think, is pretty much like a universal concept in all countries. And it's basically an authorization for a foreign person to enter that country or stay for a duration of time. Typically, when you're traveling just like as a tourist for short periods of time, you would not need a visa up to a certain point. That's why like if you ever fly somewhere, they ask you when you're going to go through customs, you have that form to fill out. Like, How long are you going to stay here? What is your intent? Where will you be staying? It's to make sure you don't just like fly into Mexico one day and decide to stay forever. It seems like, but I'm not sure, that 90 days seems to be some very common limit to entry into another country before you need a visa. Um, For example, when I was in college, I studied abroad in Spain, and I remember because my program would require me to stay longer than 90 days, I had to go to the consulate in New York to get a visa issued by the Spanish authorities to allow me to stay beyond that point. Um, I mean, it was obviously like a pretty straightforward visa. I think I just filled out a form that I printed off online. I went there, spent maybe five minutes at the desk, and then they put it into my passport. When we're talking about U.S. visas, visas to enter the United States, there are very many categories and then different classifications within those categories. And mainly there are two very large groups of visas in the U.S. There are non-immigrant visas and immigrant visas. So a non-immigrant visa would be for something like an au pair who's coming over on a J-1 visa, whereas an immigrant visa would obviously be something like the K-1 visa, which is where we get this show. So let's get to our namesake, the K-1 visa, which is also sometimes called the fiancé visa. So the requirements basically for the K-1 visa are once you enter the United States on a K-1 visa, you have to get married to the U.S. citizen within 90 days in order to stay valid on your visa. Before those 90 days are up and really until you get some kind of work authorization from the United States after you get married, You cannot legally work in the U.S., which we often see on the show, like when Sinjin was just sitting around in his bathrobe for weeks on end, kind of foreshadowing COVID-19 for all of us. 
And after a period of time, after you do get married on the K-1 visa, the spouse can apply for a green card. A green card is also called a permanent resident card. And once you get a green card, you become what's called a lawful permanent resident of the United States. A permanent resident is not the same thing as a United States citizen, but after you have had a green card for five years, you could, if you wish, apply to become a naturalized United States citizen. So when you have a green card, you cannot vote in a national election, but you could vote in a local election depending on where you live. In San Francisco, for example, I am pretty sure that non-citizens can vote in local elections, and I'm not sure how common that is throughout the U.S., but um, it's pretty cool that they allow that for people. So back to the K-1 visa, as we've seen through the trials and tribulations of this show, the application process is pretty long. There's a lot of red tape, a lot of back and forth, and it seems like it kind of requires you to follow everything, follow the instructions very carefully and do everything properly. Obviously, things depend on foreign embassies as well and whether they are willing to help you out, whether they have more restrictions than you anticipated, different rules, things like that. So, you know, it's one thing to know the U.S. customs and um, our local immigration services and the way that they process these things. It's another thing to get through the U.S. embassies in foreign countries. If everything is followed accordingly and, you know, we're not in the midst of a global pandemic, the average time from start to finish for a K-1 visa is eight months. The requirements to be eligible for a K-1 visa are pretty standard, like you have to be legally of age to marry in that country. You can't currently be married to another person, which unfortunately we've seen more than once on this show. And you cannot have committed a crime of quote unquote moral turpitude within the United States, which basically I think means like you can't have committed a crime that harmed other people or did damage to property, or just showed any kind of like vicious malintent. Of course, part of this list includes arson, which I'm pretty sure is the reason why Paul was not able to get a K-1 visa for Karini, because if you don't know his history, just look into it. So in order to apply for a K-1 visa, you can't just pick someone off the internet and not ever meet them. You have to have seen this person at least once face-to-face within the last two years. So that's where we get the birth of the 90 Day Fiance before the 90 Days series. It's when these people are actually meeting, trying to establish this relationship. Both on the U.S. side of the application as well as the foreign side, you have to show proof of this relationship through things like photographs, phone records, you know, social media, things like that to prove that you're not frauding anybody. Um, There is one exception that was interesting for me to find out if there is a religious or cultural reason for you to not meet your future spouse face to face, they can make an exception. I would think that's pretty rare, though. And so, of course, once things are approved on the American side of things, the applicant has to go through their own embassy and they go through the interview process again. And we've seen a lot of ups and downs with this, like Michael got denied by the Nigerian officials for question mark reasons, as well as obviously Azan and Nicole when uh, Nicole went to Morocco. I would think the problem with Azan, besides the financials, which I'll get into, is that they just like really suspected this was not a real relationship. He might have even told them like, look, I don't want to get married to her. (laughs) If you can get me out of this, please help me. So that's the other part. Um, A term that we're hearing a lot this season in terms of Colt and Larissa is what's called an affidavit of support. 
And that's basically a legal promise that you can financially support your the person that you're sponsoring to come into the U.S. Now, the limit, the lower limit for qualifying financially for a K-1 visa is remarkably low. I found different sources, different numbers for this, but it seems like the American citizen who's on this application has to meet or exceed either 100 or 125 percent of the U.S. poverty guidelines, which depending on which number you use for a family of two in 2019 was between $17,000 and $21,500. Even so, if you don't qualify as an individual, you could get another U.S. citizen to um, co-sponsor the affidavit of support with you which I believe the only person who's done this on 90 Day Fiance or attempted to do it since Azan is still in Morocco, as far as we know, is Nicole, who begged both of her parents to um, co-sponsor Azan on the visa. So once the K-1 visa is issued, the person may enter the United States, after which they have that 90-day window in order to get married. As we've seen on this show, it seems like these people, like, don't bother to get married until day 89, like 10 p.m. at night. The closest I think I've ever seen on this show was Anna and Marcel when he like flew back to Turkey or something and then came all the way back and they got married like literally in the last hour. I believe Nikki, who is being held hostage by Mark, like also made it to the very last day because she was just so unsure. And obviously she made the wrong decision. But anyway, I... I mean, I don't I would think that most people who are trying to get married on the K-1 visa do so pretty quickly after the spouse comes to the United States. I mean, what's the point of waiting and worrying about it? I am sure that the majority of these relationships are extremely valid and they've already spent time with each other and they're not just finding out different stuff um, unless I'm wrong. And the show is not, in fact, the exception to the rule. And they're all talking through Google Translate and finding out deep, dark secrets as they go. Aside from the K-1 visa, if you can't qualify it for it because you, I don't know, committed arson or something, there are other ways to bring a spouse into the United States. Um, there is a category that includes two different types of visas, which are the IR-1 visa and the CR-1 visa. And by the way, um, the K-1 visa, as well as these two, it should be obvious from the show, even though we're only just getting same-sex couples. But anyway, you can apply for these as a same-sex couple, which is good. There's no longer restrictions on that. So anyway, the IR-1 visa and the CR-1 visa are what Paul and Karini are trying to do now since they got married in Brazil. If Michael were legally allowed to immigrate from Nigeria, which we'll get into as well, I'm sure that this is what they would be trying to do. And really the only difference between these two types of visas is the length of time of your marriage at the time of application. So if you have been married for less than two years, you have to go for the CR-1. Otherwise, you can apply for the IR-1. And when you come over on the IR-1 visa, the immigrant, the person immigrating already has their green card. So they kind of like expedite that process for you because of the length of your marriage. Whereas with the CR-1 visa, you may be allowed to work, but you also have to go through the process of eventually applying for a green card once you enter the United States. Obviously, in the past few years, with the Trump administration, we've had like a quite unusual amount of immigration activity at the federal level, different restrictions being put in place, like different controversies coming up. In 2017, the Trump administration restricted visas and entry into the United States from a number of countries. Um, 
one list was issued in January of that year and then was later amended in March. And Nigeria is included on that list. So as of right now, there is no legal way to immigrate to the U.S. from Nigeria. Um, There might be exceptions depending on the visa class. But for the purposes of this podcast, people like Michael and Usman could not come to the U.S. right now, even if they did technically qualify for the CR1 visa to come over to be with their spouse. And obviously, the global pandemic has also temporarily suspended a lot of immigration into the U.S. right now, if not all. So let's also talk about some other visas that we may hear about on the show or that you just may hear about in the news or something. There is, um, as I I think I mentioned before, the J-1 visa. Typically, this is issued to au pairs who are here to, yeah, just work as an au pair for a year or so. This is what Jess has, Jess, uh, Colty's new girlfriend in Chicago. I think the J-1 visa can also include um, like certain kinds of temporary workers, such as like if you ever go to the boardwalk, it seems like a lot of the people who work there are young people visiting from different countries. Um, also it includes like camp counselors. So the J-1 would be included in the non-immigrant um, category of visas because the purpose is to just like spend a short time working in the United States. I think there might be like an upper age limit for most of the categories within the J-1 visa. So it's meant to be for like young people who are looking to be in the U.S. for a short period of time for a work experience to develop their language skills, something like that. There's also a category called the H-1B visa, which is, quote, for specialty occupations and fields requiring highly specialized knowledge, and it also includes fashion models. So in fact, Melania Trump immigrated to the United States on an H-1B visa. But, you know, the fashion model part of it is not typical. We are usually talking about the H-1B visa in terms of uh, tech workers as well as medical workers. The number of H-1B visas issued every year has a very strict cap. So right now, um, we only issue 65,000 H-1B visas a year, as well as an additional 20,000 spots that are left open for um, applicants who have a master's degree or higher. So even if you have an offer of employment and an employee willing to sponsor you, you still have to get into one of those spots in order to come to the U.S. on an H-1B visa. So I think it's like sometimes referred to as the H-1B lottery. And so, yeah, you could do everything right and there's just not enough spots for you and you just have to wait for another year to go by, basically, I think, in order to apply again. A lot of tech companies in the Bay Area, especially, um, petition to expand the H-1B program, like obviously support it because they get a lot of um, employees from foreign countries that way. Uh, I know after a certain amount of time when you're on the H-1B visa, you can apply for a green card. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but um, it is definitely possible. At any rate, the H-1B visa starts at a three-year allowance to be in the United States. And after that, you could extend it to up to six years. So after that, you either have to find some other way to stay in the United States or during that six-year period, you have become a legal resident through like the green card program or something like that. Finally, there are F-1 visas, which are issued for higher education. So that would be international students who are coming to the U.S. to study in like a undergrad program or a graduate program, something higher than that. The reason I bring this up is because in order to stay on the F-1 visa, you have to maintain like a full-time student status at the university at which you are studying. 
So right now what's happening is a lot of colleges and universities for the fall really can't reopen in person because of the the pandemic. So a lot of them are going to be exclusively online or, you know, majority online, something like that. And there's a lot of question of whether the F1 visa requirements allow foreign students to take online classes and still stay in the U.S. permanently. I know some colleges, I think it was NYU, are trying to get around this by like, if you're on an F1 visa, you can take like a one credit in-person class that has um, optional attendance, <laughs> like basically so you have that on your schedule and that you could stay. But I think it continues to be a really big question that universities never expected they would have to handle. And yeah, hopefully it could get sorted out for these students before the fall and so they don't have to worry too much. Aside from getting into a program, in order to qualify for an F-1 visa, you have to prove that you can support yourself financially while you're in the United States. Also, which like it was interesting for me to read, you have to prove that you have like, quote unquote, strong ties to your home country. So you have to prove that you have like a strong family unit back there or that you have assets or basically money back there. I guess I would assume the history of that is to prove that you're not just coming to the U.S. to get an education and then like never go back to your home country. But I don't know. I mean, it does exclude, it seems like, people who come from less economic means. But being an international student is already very expensive. So that barrier already exists, kind of. So just a few weeks ago, with all this pandemic stuff still going on, the Trump administration went further with their restrictions on certain visas. So they have suspended new issuing new visas in certain categories if these categories were found to present a quote unquote risk to the employment market in the United States. Unless extended, these restrictions would expire on December 31st. And I'm not sure what would happen if he were not reelected, but I imagine that the president couldn't like extend them before November 3rd, but we'll see. Anyway. So this suspends issuing new visas for the H-1B visa category as well as the J category. So we can't bring in more skilled workers and we can't bring in more au pairs, people of that category. Obviously, um, a lot of tech companies are really against this. They want to be able to bring in H-1B workers as they have done so before, as well as a lot of families are really affected by the au pair program essentially being shut down to new entrants. Importantly, if you're already in the U.S. on one of these visas, it won't affect your status. So like if you're already working here on an H-1B, you should hopefully be okay. But I think it's not recommended that you leave the country right now if you're on that kind of visa. Like not like you actually can because most countries aren't letting people in from the U.S. right now because we can't wear our fucking masks. Anyway, so these restrictions um, make some exceptions for people like healthcare workers as well. Interestingly to me, for the spousal visas, I talked about the IR1 and the CR1. There are also exceptions for migrant workers who are coming here for agricultural purposes, things like that. So yeah, that's like being thought, like I said, by a lot of different people, a lot of different interests. And it's probably a story that will continue developing over the summer, as well as the question of what we do with these international students who are trying to go to colleges that are essentially online colleges for the fall. So that's all I have to say about that. Um, tomorrow night, which is Sunday, there's a new episode of Happily Ever After that I will be recapping. And then on Monday, there's another episode of The Other Way. So I will talk to you all soon. Bye.